This is Vanderbilt Business. Last week, Professor Larry Van Horn sat down with Marketing and Communications Director Amy Katz to talk about Amazon's healthcare partnership with Berkshire Hathaway and J.P. Morgan, the lack of innovation in the U.S. healthcare industry, the real drivers of change in healthcare, and more. Good afternoon, Larry. Thanks for your time to chat today. It's been almost six months since the January 30th announcement that Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan linked up to form a new healthcare company. What are your thoughts on what Amazon's partnership with these two companies may mean for healthcare? So I threw this out because it's something that people have been talking about. And, and I think the reality is if Amazon had not been part of this, nobody would have met, noticed. Berkshire Hathaway and J.P. Morgan would not have raised anything. But if you look, I think in the first quarter earnings calls of uh, Fortune 500 companies, Amazon was mentioned 27% of the time across the entire Fortune 500. Anytime Amazon touches anything, people sit there and get a little creepy. Um, in part because everybody gets Amazon Prime on their doorstep. And, and the interesting thing is, to me, less about what these folks might do as employers and with their covered populations, because in reality, Walmart has a much bigger employee population, right? And if you take Amazon's employee population plus their dependents of 3.5 million folks, they've been in this place for a long time. So the question is, what can Amazon, in conjunction with Berkshire Hathaway and J.P. Morgan, do that Walmart chose not to do? And, and Walmart's been doing some interesting things as of late. I mean, they just brought in uh, a former f- person from Healthways so to, into health and wellness, Sean from here from Nashville. And so they are doing some, uh, they're, they're, it's not clear where Walmart's going, but they're doing some interesting things. Um, but what's, what's interesting about Amazon to me is when you think about Amazon, what are they good at? They're good at creating marketplaces. And so now I think the interesting thing is to think about what could Amazon do in the space of healthcare by creating marketplaces and or many of the things we buy on Amazon day in, day out are not sold by Amazon, but they provide all of the infrastructure, logistic infrastructure to allow lots of other suppliers to distribute through Amazon. So they're, they, have, they have a logistics facility um, and now take the fact that they can create a highly functional web-based uh, marketplace with the ability to create a, a infrastructure, logistics infrastructure on the back end, now port that to healthcare. Now let's start thinking about where that has play. And, and that's where I think that there is some interesting things here. Um, and we'll see where it goes. At the end of the day, um, you know, you, I think you've got about 310 million Americans who are using Amazon, uh, Amazon Prime. I mean, I just got back from Montana. And, uh, and Dusty, our, our guide, uh, he had never, he'd never been on Amazon his whole life. But uh, he's in northern rural Montana. Um, most Americans, you know, consume Amazon all the time. And if you look at Amazon's net promoter scores compared to typical health insurers, Amazon's net promoter score is off the charts. I mean, I get boxed from Amazon every day. Amazon's net promoter score is like in the 60s. And if you talk about a typical health insurer, well, um, if, they break, if they break 10, I think they're pretty happy. Um, and so there's that challenge. Amazon has, I mean, we have an Amazon distribution facility, what, down in Murfreesboro? Yeah, um, they've got the distribution network all across the company all across the country to be able to deliver things in a timely fashion. 
And, uh, and so that kind of leads to some logical uh, postulates around what Amazon might do. Um, and when, they, when you couple that with the fact that they bought PillPack, um, going into d drug distribution it, it would be high on the list, right? Um, and, and I think that's one of the, th the first things that you'll see them do. And, and across the United States, more and more Americans are having to pay more and more out of pocket, out of cash, to buy healthcare, goods, services. They have high deductibles. And that's a great thing for me as an economist. I love that. Um, but <clears throat> the amount of price variation within markets around the same identical prescription drug is enormous. If you go to CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, um, Costco, whatever, the, even in the same locale, there's tremendous price variability. Two, three, four X price variability at least. And so Amazon could step in and try to create a much better, more liquid functioning market. And in prescription drugs, which is let's say, I don't know, 15, 16% of our healthcare economy, um, right now the way drugs are priced, they're distributed with PBMs and uh, rebates and kickbacks is not opaque and not transparent. Um, Amazon can step in and make that a much more, uh, much more transparent marketplace and facilitate the distribution of, of, of prescriptions, I think, much more easily. And so I think there's a very logical um, play for Amazon in the, uh, in the prescription world. Um, but they have, they have this capacity in this back-end infrastructure that they could bring to lots of places in healthcare. And, and to the extent that they want to attack either a um, administrative overhead, excess waste there, whether they want to attack prices, I think Amazon has a proven track record of being able to do that. Um, so I, I think that it's going, to, it's going to be interesting to see how they scale. The pharmacy is clearly one of the first ones that I would see them attacking by knocking out the middlemen. Um, and, and the pill pack is an example of that. And, and, and proof positive is, is when this was announced, your, your big pharma companies, your supply chain companies did not do well. Yeah. Whether it was McKesson, whether it was Walgreens, whether it was CVS, on the day of announcement, uh, they, all took a, they all took a header. I think we've heard and we read all the time that healthcare is really about behavior change. That the idea is to, to change behavior so people will reduce the demand for some services. Do you feel like Amazon brings anything special to the arena? No. No, I, 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 I agree that um, the primary determinants of health for you and I sitting here is the decisions we make day in, day out, the way we live our lives, and the amount of mayonnaise we consume. And I consume an indiscriminate amount of mayonnaise. Now, the, the, the challenge is, is that I have a very hard time making good life decisions. I don't see how Amazon steps into that. Medical care accounts for maybe 10% of the variation in health in a population. 90% is lifestyle, behavior, genetics, the things we do day in, day out. So how does Amazon play in that? I'm not clear. Um, but one of the things that they might want to target is the excess consumption of medical care, which is, you know, we have estimates 30, 40, 50% of medical care um, is non-value-added and should never have been consumed. I don't know how Amazon attacks that directly, but we have a sea change going on in America where we're all paying more and more out of pocket. And as an economist, I believe demand curves slope down. 
And as people face a higher, greater out-of-pocket price for the consumption of that physician office service, that prescription drug, they're going to choose to consume less. And they will try to substitute towards other things, which hopefully address their fundamental health status. I, I, I don't see Amazon addressing the health issue specifically, but by them providing a transaction, a transparent marketplace for an increasing amount of things that we might consume in medical care, um, they're going to make us much more price sensitive. And I think that's a good thing. I think you've illuminated some of the things that Amazon will bring to the table. What are some other challenges you think is this partnership between these three companies are facing? The idea of employers getting involved in trying to address their health care spend is not a new idea. I wrote a paper in Harvard Business Review in 1993 entitled The Health and Welfare of U.S. Business. How many years ago is that now? 25? Yeah. I think it's 25. Henry Ford started this in 1993. Uh, Henry Ford. We had, we had John Deere Healthcare as well. I mean, we had everybody was, has played in the healthcare space. So this is not a new conversation for employers to be worried about their health care uh, costs. So I don't know that spe- what specifically um, uh, Berkshire Hathaway, J.P. Morgan, and Amazon have to address that other than Amazon can create marketplaces and logistics infrastructures for the delivery of product to a point uh, of individual's consumption in the home. Berkshire Hathaway is known for risk, right? I mean, they're, they're big in insurance, and, and J.P. Morgan's a financing engine. So I think it's worthwhile to step back and say, what do those three companies' core capabilities, the combination of them, allow them to do this different? And I think that actually gets a little interesting. I want just one thing in terms of health benefits. I want a catastrophic health insurance plan with uh, stop loss uh, that caps above some amount of expenditure limits my financial exposure. Berkshire Hathaway does that. I mean, they, they, can, they can do that. And then Amazon might be able to step in and facilitate and make more transparent a lot of the transactions I get engage in day in, day out. So I think that they each have something interesting to say about what they could do in the market much more broadly than trying to bend the cost curve on their own employees. Okay, so you don't see this as sort of a an incubator of how these one million people will behave could be extrapolated and brought out to the rest of the people. Right, because I don't see this, I don't perceive this, and, and, and others can opine and, and, and tell stories. I don't see the, the core of this as being a behavioral modification for, for the employed population of these three companies. I think, it, think about it more interestingly around how do they combine the unique talents, temperaments, experiences within these organizations to address and change uh, what we might consume in medical care more broadly. That's where we get traction. Uh, Addressing the consumption patterns of a million folks or whatever that are are employed by these these organizations, I don't think um, is is a game changer. But man, I I love the idea of just being able to go on Amazon Prime with one click and have my my prescription show up tomorrow. I mean, I I do that all day long. And to me, the litmus test frequently in healthcare is, would I be willing to buy this with my own money? If, I want, if I'm willing to buy, buy this with my own money, I think this, this is a dog that hunts, if you will. And, and I can see them crafting some things if I'm given the choice that I might want to buy. 
I might want to buy not only my prescription drugs, but access to other medical services, DME supply, all other kinds of things like that, which have historically been routed through a, a third-party payment system through an Amazon vehicle. And I think the thing that's different today than it has been the case for the last probably 30 or 40 years is that since 1970, um, the share of an individual's wallet that is being spent directly in healthcare has been declining. Only recently, only since 2006, have we started to see a shift and a return to individuals having to spend more out of pocket for medical care and being concerned because of the high deductibles that employers are, are putting in place, which are entirely appropriate and sensible. Um, th that changes the calculus around consumption behavior. And so, you know, I think that there are companies, the likes of, of MD Save, that's been that's built up, that's tried to create a transaction marketplace for medical services on a cash basis. I think you see more and more companies um, trying to address how do we facilitate the purchase behavior of consumers. And I don't think there's anybody that does it better than Amazon. I mean, I just default to Amazon to buy just about everything. So I think they, they, have some, uh, they have a run room in healthcare. It's more regulated, it's more complicated than buying uh, a tent on Amazon, if you will. But uh, they have the horsepower, I think, and the experience to be able to do, create some uh, real value here. Okay, talk a little bit about the ad that they've chosen to lead this effort. Atul Gawande. It, it's, it's an interesting choice. I, uh, Atul Gawande is a, is a very public figure. He became famous through his writings, featured in The Atlantic and whatnot, picked up by various presidential administrations. That it doesn't mean that he has experience crafting and building organizations, leading teams, and basically creating an entrepreneurial organization to solve a new problem. So I think he uh, is an interesting visionary. What remains to be seen is whether he can translate that into action that builds, builds a business and a solution that people are willing to engage and buy. And I was, I was surprised by the choice. Do you think a lot of um, entrepreneurial spirit comes from the medical profession? No. Uh, He's a trained surgeon. I know. So the U.S. healthcare industry is the antithesis of innovation. We love to talk about innovation, left, right, and center. And you've got big healthcare delivery systems that are have departments of innovation and whatnot. The reality is if you look at the healthcare spend in the United States over the last 40 or 50 years, there has been absolutely zero shift in where the dollar goes in healthcare. We spent $3.3 trillion in healthcare, and we have that $3.3 trillion or $3.3 trillion of somebody's income. And they have a very concerted interest to maintain it just the way it is. And so we've seen very little dynamism in the U.S. healthcare industry. Um, we have very strong political and lobbying groups that want to keep it just the way it is and keep the dollars uh, flowing just the way they are. And I think one of the biggest shifts that I pay attention to that I think is important is the evolution in employer posture moving to higher deductible health plans because that actually changes the decision calculus and puts it in the part of the individual employee slash consumer slash patient where they're now they're controlling their dollar spend. And that takes it out of the realm of capture of the medical industrial complex. And I think the evolution in that dollar spend is really going to have a dramatic impact on what healthcare delivery looks like 5, 10, and 15 years from now. 
So you think that gives rise to the advent of these companies like Healthcare Blue Book? or companies committed to price transparency? Sure. I mean, it's more than price transparency. We don't even talk about, about healthcare and define healthcare in ways that make sense to any of us sitting around this table this afternoon. The U.S. healthcare industry talks about CPT codes, HICPIC codes, SNOMED codes, ICD-9, ICD-10, DRGs, and we don't even know what a physician office visit is. You and I say, I want to go see a doctor. Well, that's simple to you and I. But in healthcare, that is either a 99211, 212, 213, 214, 215. And they don't know what kind of visit it is until after they've delivered it to you. So we don't have a way to communicate and discuss purchasing in healthcare in ways that's meaningful to any of us right now. Until you define what you're buying, transparency is really second order. Take a company like MD Save, one of the, the key things that they do is they bundle everything together such that you can sit there and say, I need to have a colonoscopy. Well, a colonoscopy is actually the colonoscopy, but it's also anesthesia. It's everything rolled together. So you can go online and you can buy a colonoscopy there and you understand what that means. But for them to do that and price that, they've had to actually do a lot of mechanics of bundling together a lot of healthcare services to result in something you want to buy. That's where we need to go. And, and transparency will be material and important only when we can start talking about purchasing medical care in ways that are sensible to you and I as laypeople, not for the pros who deliver, who kind of live in the industry. So to that point, if you think about all the players, all the stakeholders in this very complicated industry, the patients, the provider, policymakers, I mean, in your mind, who has the greatest power to make some of these changes? Who, so who's going to affect change? Well, I, I think you have this, the, 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 the person who controls the money flow, okay? So right now that's the payer. Well, um, it, it's the payer, but remember, 50% of medical care is, is financed through the, the government, either in Medicare or Medicaid. So you've got them controlling stuff on one side for specific populations, those who are over 65, those who are financially indigent. And then you've got 150, 180 million Americans with employer-sponsored health insurance where the employer benefits department has made the decision about how the dollar is spent. The new wrinkle in this since 2006 with the growth of high deductibles is that all of us as individuals are increasingly having a voice and having impact in terms of how those dollars are spent. And I think when I spend my own money, I make different decisions. I know I do. I think when Americans are given that decision power because they're using their own dollars, they're going to make different decisions what the industry has historically offered them. And that's going to result in some material change. And that's what I, th I think that's probably the most exciting thing I see coming forward. Okay. This is great. Um, I have just a couple more questions. The first is around preventative medicine. Mm-hmm. Is, is this working? Is it not working? Can I ask you a question since you're asking me questions? Do you want to buy preventive services? Do you want to go to your doctor as a perfect, perfectly healthy individual? And spend a two hundred dollars to have them tell you tell you you're healthy. Okay. Well, I, I that's that's the thought process that's going to have to be in everybody's head. Companies are investing tremendous amounts of money in these wellness clinics. I, yeah, they have, they're negative MPV projects. They don't save money. That whole segment, you think, is wellness in general is nobody wants to spend money on wellness. If you're spending your own money, you don't want to buy wellness. You want to buy sick care. That doesn't diminish the fact that we could all be better off by making better life decisions. But the issue is 
that do I, do I want to spend my own dollars on that? In the United States, we've created this norm where children go to pediatricians for a well-child visit every year. There's, I could label it the Pediatric Employment Act. This is taking a healthy child to the doctor for them to check them out, look at them and say, twist their ears and throw them on a scale and measure them and whatnot, say they're in the 50th percentile. And that well-child visit's a 200 and something dollar reimbursed paid amount. Most Americans would not spend 200 and something dollars to have a healthy child verified by a physician. We spend a lot of money in ways today because of the structural system that when individuals have their own dollars to spend, they're not going to buy. It does create a tension, uh, and that is people will end up foregoing things that medical professionals might say, this is a valuable thing, you should do this. And we're going to have to become comfortable with the fact that when people spend their own money, they might not spend it the way you want. People buy cigarettes and all kinds of things that they probably shouldn't buy, including mayonnaise. So I, I think that there's going to be a, a little bit of a, a challenge in this, in this country around the shift in the locus of consumption. Who's controlling that? Who's controlling those dollars? And us being comfortable as a society that people are exercising their own free will and they might make choices that we wouldn't make. Uh, and it's not an information issue. It's a value issue. It's a preference issue. It's all of those things come into play. So, um, you know, wellness, uh, making good life decisions, we should all do that. And maybe at the end of the day, if my health insurance was underwritten, not unlike my auto insurance based on my behavior, I might get some stronger incentives to make better life decisions. But right now I don't. And I think that's an important change that's going to come down the pike. So in spirit of changes, and then I'll let you all ask some questions I'm sure I've missed. So just thinking about how to make this conversation really relevant to the Vanderbilt community, as you think about students that are coming here to learn and explore the business of healthcare, they're excited about the industry, they're curious, it seems really complex. Mm -hmm. What would you tell them to focus on? It sounds like consumerism is, is the hot topic. I, no, I, I think that that is clearly one one area and understanding consumer preferences, marketing, market segments in healthcare, differential preferences. You know, I'm over over the age of 50. I think about and consume everything differently than somebody who's 25. And as we increasingly create healthcare solutions to meet market segments, just like we do in every other industry, um, we're going we're gonna to come up with many different solutions, many more than we've historically had. We've run everybody through the same production vehicle in healthcare. That isn't the way of the future. I think there's never been a time that has ha gonna, uh, the, will experience more change, more dynamism, and more potential for innovative solutions to be rewarded in the market than there is today. And I think developing the business skills to understand trade-offs, consumer preferences, how to build companies that solve a problem of a consumer in healthcare is will we be rewarded today and in the future more than it ever has been in the last 30 or 40 years. And that makes it really exciting. All right, talk a little bit about from the employer's perspective, people mm -hmm. who are coming to hire our students. One or two, I know you do the MMHC program and the, the full-time, daytime MBA. What do those students bring into the marketplace that makes them unique and, and great hires? Yeah, I, I think what we do and we focus on is very much... Um, a we starting with a big picture orientation to the industry, the challenges, 
um, and the economics and how those are likely to shift that, that provide a platform to apply all the other business disciplines to create a vision for where the puck might be going in healthcare. And then we layer on with that a lot of deep institutional classes which provide them a context around how things currently operate and where the opportunities are for improvement. Um, so knowing where the future might go, where the puck might go, where the opportunities might be based off of, uh, uh, off of the evolution in a, a bunch of these industry trends, layered with the business disciplinary education combined with the uh, kind of very brass tacks from finance, healthcare delivery, a bunch of the, 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 the core classes that we deliver here allow students to understand where we are today and how we need to change that for us to be successful in the future. That's great. That's great. Last last recommendation you may have for someone who's thinking about the industry. What what should they be reading? Who should they be paying attention to? What are you reading? What, are you what am I reading? Are you? Well, I mean, there, I read a lot of inform. There, there's a tremendous amount of information that comes over the transom every day, and so from you know academic outlets such as Health Affairs, which is dealing more with policy and and, and shifts that are going on there to morning digest services like the morning consult or fierce healthcare which are dealing with more timely issues um, i think it's a combination of reading things that are provide a more holistic evaluation of policy and shifts that are going on in the industry along with a complementary piece source of information on things that are happening today and what firms are doing today uh, it would probably be a good place to start Nashville is a good place to be a healthcare entrepreneur. Nashville is the best place to be a healthcare entrepreneur, particularly in the space of delivery. I mean, this Nashville is the healthcare delivery capital of the United States. Um, most of the investor-owned hospital systems in the U.S. are located here in Nashville, barring Tenant and UHS, I think. Um, one out of every six hospital beds is controlled out of Nashville. Uh, the largest ambulatory surgery center companies are located in Nashville. The largest home health companies are located in Nashville. The uh, largest data companies, Change Healthcare, is located in Nashville. Um, we have 300-plus uh, healthcare companies in Middle Tennessee. This has been the hotbed for delivery innovation in the United States going back to the 1960s, 5-plus, with the creation of HCA. And we have a family tree with the Nashville Healthcare Council, which shows the cascadence of all the organizations that have been spawned from both Vanderbilt and the Nashville and NHCA. And we have a really wonderful collaborative environment here, which uh, fosters innovation and is supported by the industry. Um, so uh, we see companies relocating to Nashville all the time because they want to tap into that knowledge base, that, edu that human capital uh, stock, that information source to advance their organizations. Do you think Vanderbilt has a good brand name, Vanderbilt Business, among that audience? Of uh, Vanderbilt has, has a great brand name, of course. It has a great, great, great brand name everywhere. Yeah. Um, no question about it. And, and, and we can go through all of, the, all of these big companies and a bunch of the small entrepreneurial companies in Nashville, and we can point to... Vanderbilt, Owen, healthcare MBA grads who are running these organizations and have key pivotal roles in them. So there's a great network to tap into. Thanks for your time today, Larry. Really appreciate it. 
Thanks to Larry and Amy for their time this week, and thank you for listening. You can find more stories and information about Vanderbilt's own Graduate School of Management by visiting our website, business.vanderbilt.edu, or following at Vanderbilt Owen on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Music is provided by Mike Foster, and I'm Nate Luce.